This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is Joe Crane, host of Veteran on the Move podcast. And when I'm not helping veterans transition to entrepreneurship, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey, money fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and baby, we were born to run because on today's show, we're rocking this little house with America's coolest financial advisor, rock and roll star Gooding joins us. Also, in our headline segment, during tornado and hurricane season, how sure are you of your homeowner's policy? Joining us to talk insurance, we welcome from Service Master Restore, Pete Duncanson. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, answer your letters, and still feed you trivia like it's 1999. And now two guys who are the rocks in this year project, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-J. Rocking out the new week, man. I've got rocks in my brain. <laughs> After the weekend, of course you do. Hey, everybody, I'm Joe Selsey. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And welcome back to Monday. You found us, the Stacky Benjamin Show, across this card table from me. The one, the only, the OG. That's me. You know what? We've got a fantastic show, Gooding, joining us here. He has uh, preached financial literacy and rock and roll music across the nation. Over I want to rock. Tons of high schools. We're going to talk to him about spreading the good word and also listen to some of his music. He's on Spotify and holy cow, ever since I heard of Gooding, he's been on heavy rotation here in the basement, as you know. Yes. Yeah. Good, good stuff with Gooding. Uh, hey, you know what else is good stuff? You know, back in the Stone Age, you know, those days before M1 Finance, 
investing your money on your own OG. It was intimidating, time-consuming, and expensive. You had to calculate and input every trade you want to make, and then you were hit with a commission every time you clicked a button. Forget about buying that one stock you wanted with a high share price. Well, thankfully, M1 Finance has completely changed that investing game. You can now build and own a diversified investment portfolio made up of the stocks and ETFs you pick. Basically, tell M1 what you want to own, and then M1 automates your plan. It's incredibly easy and intuitive to build your portfolio and customize it to your liking. Then it's also as easy to manage as a savings account. You just deposit or withdraw money. M1 uses intelligent automation and fractional shares to invest every penny in the most efficient way. This is the comprehensive investing platform. You know, what I like, OG, is when you're getting ready to maybe spend some money, instead of spending that money, hook up an automatic transfer so that you start automatically saving. And if your cash reserves already in place, save it into someplace like M1 Finance. I found so many times, both in my life, clients' lives, et cetera, where just starting to save a little bit of money motivates you to save a little bit more money, a little bit more money. I've got this goal of how much money I want to save per week, and I'm way far away from it. But like it's this kind of, you know, dream goal of being able to save all this money on every every Monday. But I so I started out with a smaller amount and I increase it every so often just to see if it matters, to see if it affects my cash flow. And it's the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. That's StackyBenjamins.com, M1 finance, M1 finance, be invested. And when you're talking about trying to save more money, OG, you know what you do? You adjust the budget. And I'll tell you, if you've ever been frustrated that that tool you're using to manage your money wasn't flexible enough, you've never met Tiller Money. Tiller's the only personal finance tool giving you complete control over how you manage your money. They automatically pull your latest spending and earnings transactions and account balances into a Google Sheet for you each day. Choose from a variety of powerful and easy-to-use pre-built templates or harness Tiller's power to build your own Google Sheet money management dashboard. Save more money. Here's what you do, OG. You head to Tiller, you download Tiller, you tweak it until it's the way you want it, and then you hook up that automatic into M1 Finance, bada boom, bada bing, you got it done. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Tiller, T-I-L-L-E-R, for more on Tiller. All right, great show today. We are rocking with Gooding here in the basement. Rock and roll show Monday. Let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Today's first headline comes to us from the Wall Street Journal, also was uh, posted in our Facebook group, The Basement, at stackybenjamins.com forward slash basement to get you there. Our friend Steve over there posted this. Everyone's a buy and hold investor now, but can you stay that way? This written by the one and only Mark Hulbert, who publishes a lot of, a lot of interesting stats. He said, be honest with yourself. If you can't hold on during a bear market, it's time to reduce exposure. I wonder what you thought about this, OG. And then it was funny because you sent this piece to me because it says, as the U.S. stock market continues to set all-time highs, many investors are proudly adhering to their mantra of buy and hold. That is what financial advisors preach and investors are sticking to it. For now, anyway, tougher question is this. Will they stick to buy and hold if the market tumbles? If experience is a guide, the answer for almost all of them will be no. I found this article very interestingly timed. Obviously, the stock market's kind of going up and up and up with a little bit of a blip a couple of weeks ago, you know, with the North Korea stuff going on. But um, it seems like there's no end in sight. One of the comments on Facebook I thought was really right on was everybody's a buy and hold investor. Everybody's really j- disciplined when the stock market's going up. 
And I think you know from your experience, and it's been a little while now. It's been seven, eight years since Marcus gone down precipitously. Even the strongest tempered clients get wishy-washy, right? And so now's the time to think about it. But I don't think in terms of percentages that you want to think about. I think about in terms of dollar amounts. Like literally, if you have a hundred grand in your investment account, and over the next six months, it's worth eighty. Do you really think you'll do absolutely nothing? But is the key there? Is the key what Halbert? This is the interesting part of the conversation. Is the key is the magic in the sauce? What Halbert seems to be saying, which is reduce your exposure to equities, right? Well, I think the interesting piece is that everybody thinks that they'll hang on, right? And this is the this is the juxtaposition, right? Is he saying everybody thinks that they'll be great buy and hold investors over the long term? I asked clients, I talk to clients all the time and say, well, if this happens, what do you think? Oh, I'll stay the course. I promise. Hand to God, I'm not going to do anything different. So how do you know when your behavior is going to change before your behavior changes? <laughs> you don't know what you're going to do. If you're, if you're a relatively young investor or if you were a young investor in like 2007, 2008, now you're you know, now you're, you know, 40 and you really never experienced the, the, the breadth of what that big recession was in 2008, 2009. You know, when you talk to clients, you, they say, oh no, I held, I held on all the way through 2008, 2009. It's like, well, yeah, you had 1800 bucks in your IRA. What was the choice? You know, now you have 180,000 or now you have 1 million. Like the numbers are way different when all of a sudden you're talking about losing $200,000 or $300,000 over the span of six, seven months. And you think about like, how long did that take you to accumulate? And even though you know the right thing is to do is to stay the course, you went from a million to 700,000, you just go, yeah, you know, I'm good. Stay the course, stay the course. I think it's easier said than done. No, and I, but I, I don't think the answer is what he says it is here. I think, you know, he says, he says the answer probably is to reduce your exposure to equities now. He says that, of course, you could go more to bonds, and he said that uh, they have their own issues. He said one low-cost possibility is the Vanguard short-term bond ETF, so keep your maturity really short and go to these, you know, almost to cash, right, is what he's saying. And I, I just think that whatever you take his advice, and this is Mark Halbert, by the way, who most of our listeners probably don't know, but Halbert has a ton of stats that show why what he's advocating at the bottom of this is junk. I mean, it's junk. You go to you go to cash. You got to be right twice. Now you got to decide right. when to go to cash, and you got to decide when to get back out. And Len Penzo, who's on our Friday show, is you know he's he three years ago put a huge percentage of his portfolio in cash, and he's talking about how that was the dumbest thing to do. You know, looking back, even if the market takes a tumble, is it going to tumble as far as it was three years ago? And at this point, he's sitting on the wrong side of the ball, where he's got to decide: Do I put the money back in? And miss out on that game. But you know what he actually has to do? The thing that's statistically improbable, which is that he has to hope that the market's going to fall further than where it was when he took the money out. Right. But to your point, he's on the other side of the equation now. If he puts the money in and then it goes down 20%, <laughs> right? He's like, ah, loses even was more. I was trying to do three years ago. And I doubly screwed myself by not getting all the returns and the dividends over the last, you know, handful of years. I just have seen people when they're nervous, when they have money in the market, when they get out of the market, especially when they go to cash, they're equally as nervous. You're equally well, sure. as nervous. Yeah. Because you don't know, you, you, you have just as much work to do. You're not done. <laughs> you you have to like keep working now. Now you have to have your, you know, whatever you use, your black box or something to tell you when to get back in. 
you know, the biggest thing I think that that you have to do if you're starting to think about what do I do if the stock market's going to go down? How do I behave? That sort of thing. We preach that every dollar has to have a purpose in your financial plan. And if your dollar, if the dollar has a purpose in your financial plan that helps you assign that to the goal that it's attached to. And if you're 40 years old or if you're 50 years old and and you're looking at your portfolio and you say, oh my gosh, if it went down 25%, I would freak out or I think I might freak out. So therefore I should go to, no, no. That money right there is for your age 80, right? Just just that, that money that went down 20%, that's your age 80 money. Leave that alone, right? And if you... And if you think about the dollars being assigned to a specific goal, and what we talk about in the business is making sure that that we know what the variability of return is. So a lot of people call that risk tolerance. Risk is a chance of losing all your money, and that's pretty remote in the stock market unless you do stupid things with it. But um, the volatility is what people get, get concerned with. So we want to know, here's the likelihood of this range of returns. And then we run that out from a financial planning standpoint to say, Hey, if this happens, how does this affect our goals? That's really the question that you have to ask yourself. Not how do I feel about the money? It's gonna suck <laughs> if you went from if you went from a hundred thousand dollars to seventy thousand dollars in six months. It's gonna suck. Or if you went from a million to seven hundred or whatever, right? It sucks. But the question that you have to answer is how does this affect my goals? And if you can answer that and say uh, I'm still on track or I accounted for this, uh, I think you're more likely to weather the storm. Absolutely. And in our second headline, with hurricane season, tornado season, and just severe weather around the United States and elsewhere, interesting data out from ServiceMaster, a personal finance survey data, shows that homeowner preparedness might not be what it should be. And joining us on my dad's shortwave to talk about their findings, Pete Duggison from ServiceMaster. Welcome, man. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Well, in your data here, it says that more than 40% of American homeowners don't set aside emergency funds for potential damages. That seems like we're going to add damage to damage, Pete. That would be correct. Most people don't prepare and plan for damages. Unfortunately, we think about things like retirement and kids' college funds before we think about damages to our homes and our properties that we need to be preparing for as well. You say that fewer than one in five homeowners review their homeowner's insurance policy ahead of a weather emergency. What type of things should we be looking for? Well, every homeowner's policy is different depending on where you are in the country. You need to look at things like, for example, how your roof is covered under your insurance. Some insurance policies depreciate your roof over the life, and so they don't do full replacement. They do a partial replacement or you may not be covered for floods, things like that that people think they're covered, but they really don't know. And unfortunately, many homeowners are also underinsured for their personal property. Uh, you have specialty collections or even things like guns, antiques, uh, artwork, things like that that aren't listed properly. You may not have enough coverage for your contents. Well, when it comes to just the basic contents, I know that you guys showed that, what, not many people have an inventory of their home's contents at all. Yeah, that's correct. We really recommend that you go around your home at least once a year, take photographs of items, serial numbers, receipts, whatever you can document of what you have in your home. It's amazing when something, if you have a fire or a flood or tornado hits a home and you think you know exactly what you have, but then you start trying to inventory it and list it out. You can't remember everything that was on a bookshelf, for example. 
Let's talk about getting ready for severe weather. What type of plan should we have in place, Pete? Well, emergency plans are always key. You know, if you remember back when we were kids in school, we did fire evacuation plans and schools did all this preparedness. But how many of us do those types of things in our homes? Do we do we teach our family about tornado preparedness and weather events and say, if this happens in the home, here's where we're going to meet. Here's how we get out of the home. What if we're not all home at the same time? Mom and dad are at work, kids are at school or at sports, et cetera. How do we reconnect later and communicate with each other when the structure isn't there? The other thing we recommend is that you have somebody outside of your immediate area, maybe a relative that lives in another state that you can contact that can be the central point of communication for your extended family so people know that you are safe and cared for. You know, you never hope that somebody has to use a service like Service Master Restore, but tell me a little bit about it in case people need your services. Yeah, Service Master Restore, we specialize in disaster restoration from water, fire, mold, obviously tornadoes, hurricanes, whether it's water damage or fire, we're there 24-7 to help you pick up the pieces. And how do people get more about the survey? The easiest way to get a hold of us is through our website, servicemasterrestore.com, or you can always call us on our 800 number, 1-800-RESTORE. Pete Duggison, thanks for spending some time with us. You're quite welcome. Thanks again to Pete. Man, I love this idea of checking your homeowners. You know, just these little things you never think about what he said, taking pictures around your house, making sure that you've got all that stuff. Because you I'm know, going right through a home insurance claim right now, as a matter of fact. Well, these companies are happy to pay the claim. If you're working with a reputable company, you just got to know what you had. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's a tough part. So yeah. uh, we'll have, like I mentioned earlier, uh, links to uh, Service Master Restore, uh, all the good stuff Pete talked about in our show notes. I think the lesson is that's number one, right? Uh, go around and take pictures this week. And then number you got an two. got iPhone. Just videotape the whole thing. You know, that's a great way to do it, by the way. Narrate your house. Walk through and narrate it on, on your iPhone. And if you ever have uh, boring relatives over and you want to get them to leave, show it for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then our second our second takeaway is buy and hold. Buy and hold is a marriage for forever there, OG. Buy and hold now, buy and hold later. There's a good chance if you live in the lower 48 of the United States, you've seen our next guest. He has performed in every state in Lower 48, over a thousand shows. The four members of Gooding are experts at getting crowds on their feet. They've been doing that lately. They partner with Raymond James for the nonprofit Funding the Future. They're on a mission to teach every student in America how to be smart with money, keep their checkbooks balanced in today's cashless society. Very excited to have Gooding coming down to the basement. coming down to the basement it's gooding have a seat man how are you i'm doing great man it's a pleasure to be here i am so happy that you included us on your tour actually you're between tours right now aren't you i'm off for a little bit we had three months and i got a couple weeks off and i'm I'm back out another three months till thanksgiving so it's good we're working i want to talk about your money story in a second but let's talk about your music story first you grew up in a horrible town or next to a horrible town called (laughs) ann arbor michigan 
That's cold blooded, man. I know you. I know you got to. You got your own cross to bear, there, man. Yes, I was. I was born in Ipsy, man, right outside of Detroit, and I still got great love for Detroit, man. We go back there a lot, and actually some love for Ann Arbor. So this is, you know, that's good. I'm not trying to be pugilistic, but man, I'm an Ipsy guy, man. Uh, first Kiss concert when I was four, and. Uh, Detroit Red Wing, all that stuff. So it's good. <laughs> well, so music's in your blood. Was music in your family? How did you get started? Man, that's cool. You know, my mama was actually a classically trained pianist. And, uh, you know, she jokes. She's like, you know, I had you, my, my sister and I said, I had your kids. So, you know, I had to behave. I, I couldn't stay on the road. So I guess that was in the blood a little bit. Because once I, the first time I ever, you know, saw a band live, I, I wanted to join the circus. Um, my dad was actually a rock and roll DJ back in the day, man. So he spun a lot of stuff, loved the Motown. So there was a lot of different things around my house. The two big things, of course, were, you know, Kiss, because they're superheroes when you're a little kid. And also a lot of Prince and a lot of movie soundtracks, man. I loved that soundtrack for Queen Flash Gordon, man. That thing changed my life. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you've been featured on quite a few movies. How do you get that? Well, I tell you, man, that took a long time. You know what they say, like, you know, 20 years of being overnight success, right? right. I, I borrowed, begged, and stole my way into some early placements. You know, in the early 2000s, before, you know, everybody was kind of uploading everything, I, there was a site called mp3.com, and I used to just cold call or cold email these guys and drive them insane. And the cats that did the first Matrix put a couple of my tunes, I think I got paid like 100 bucks, but they put like a couple of my things way in the background. And once I had that one, that was the dose of medicine they never should have gave me because I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm being paid to do insane instrumental stuff that I can't play live that has a million tracks. I started hitting everybody up and over time it grew. Now I've got a couple thousand songs out there and I've got a publishing company. And yeah, we've had over a couple hundred uh, film and TV placements, tons of video games. And man, it sure helps keep the bus rolling down the highway, man. We call them slipper checks. You just put on your slippers, go out and get your royalty check. It's an awesome way to make money. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, yeah. have, I have a bio about you from Matt Fink from Rovi. And he says, okay. he says that by the age of 13, you were making your first recordings and you were garnering local attention as a guitar prodigy. That's awesome. But I like this one. You sold a ton of cassette tapes. At your, <laughs> I mean, this is a money show, Gooding, and you're out there. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. Well, was, you know, it's funny, man. I've noticed this. You know, the, the, the rock and roll guys and the hip hop guys, the urban cats and the blues rock and roll cats always get along well because I think we both have that. And the punk guys, too, that it's that DIY school, man. Everything's do it yourself. If you can't get a record deal, you go make a record label. So, you know, I got everybody that I met, my friends, you know, cutting out the end. It definitely cassettes, man. It dates me, but it, the struggle is real, baby. We used to just anything we could make, we would sell. And I'm probably that same way right now, man. We have, you know, that little crying devil logo. And so, man, we got uh, dolls and shot glasses and non-animal tested lip balm. We hawk all kind of stuff at the shows. Now, never at the schools, but if we're playing a club or a theater, man, it's all about the merchandise. It's fun. Well, it's fun. Well, it really has to be. I mean, you know, being on. Well, yeah, they're not giving out huge uh, record label advances these days. So right. if you want to stay in this business, you got to diversify. You got to fit. I mean, I love it, man. No matter what happens in the day, no matter how long the road gets, and you know, time can dry out like a blade out there if you've been gone too long. You're missing, you know, your family, your friends. But I tell you, man, that couple hours on stage makes it all worth it. And 
whatever we can do that doesn't hurt somebody to keep the band paid and keep making music for a living, we feel very grateful to do. So merchandising is a part of that. Licensing is a part of that. And, and all that's actually, you know, what's helped us be able to do some stuff for charity and, and, and hopefully give back and, uh, you know, yell about some of the things we care about. Well, charity's one thing. I, I've got one more question about this cassette release, which wasn't, well, please. Which wasn't <laughs> I love it. Nobody, nobody ever asked me about this. I love this. How much, <laughs> how much money did you sell those for? Oh my, I, you know, at the beginning I was probably paying them to take it. Um, and I think, man, it was probably just a few bucks. I remember, man, what a trip. I haven't thought about this in years. There was a place called, just like the movie, it was called High Fidelity in Wichita, Kansas. And it was like this little old house right by my high school. And I would walk over there with my backpack after school and whatever cash I had, I would lay on the table. It was like old, dusty cassette decks and just junk everywhere in the side of this place. And this lady, she had the craziest, biggest hair you know, these Coke bottle glasses. And she was just, her name was Nancy. And she, I had not thought of this woman since high school. She was just amazing. And they would shrink wrap the stuff one by one in cellophane. They dub the tapes off. I'd buy 20 of them. I go to school the next day, I'd sell them. And you know, I didn't really realize that, of course, that's an entrepreneurial business. I was just trying to get my stuff out there. And I was about three feet tall till I was 16, getting my butt kicked <laughs> after school, you know, having a hard time getting a date. So, and you know, I just, I, for me, it was just like, you know, every artist has a hole in their heart somewhere. So like, oh, here's what I've done. Of course, you know, looking back, man, I should have, I should have saved those first uh, few records for myself and given everybody a break. It's what they say in Nashville, man. The first thousand songs you write it for free. You shouldn't necessarily show everybody your early work, but I was apparently more, more precocious than I thought. So <laughs> any money lessons getting from those days, like growing up, did your family talk about money? Did, oh man, no. No, brother, that's probably why I'm so, you know, so passionate about that stuff. And I appreciate you bringing up the music first, but this is probably a, a decent segue into it. I, I made every mistake you can make, man. I, I didn't understand credit cards. I didn't, you know, I knew more about geometry than uh, how to balance a checkbook. I didn't know what a credit score was until I was already screwing mine up. So, no, I would always spend more than I made. And I definitely, uh, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a budget. Now, there's some things happening to kids these days that are a lot worse than were what was coming at us. I mean, they weren't sending us checks to the house for $10,000 that the second, you know, and if you're a kid growing up, I mean, I had a single mama. We had some ups and downs. But I mean, some of these kids, man, they're struggling. If they get money in the mailbox, they're going to cash that check, not knowing that 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 percent interest is hitting them. The same day lenders didn't exist like they do now when I was doing that stuff. So not to go on a rant too early here, but you know, I've seen things coming at these kids that I didn't deal with. But no, I was a I was a lousy early entrepreneur. I had a lot of passion. And I, you know, I was, um, despite being kind of shy about, you know, being on the schoolyard, if somebody was interested in music, I would talk all day. And I, I sold, I actually, my first car I sold to buy an eight track and opened up a little studio for $5 an hour. So <laughs> I was always doing that stuff. If I would have saved any of what I earned back then, all those years ago, man, I would be rolling right but, uh, you know you just you don't know man you don't know it's not out there which is why we you know obviously want to want to get these kids into that young enough to give them a little bit try to even the playing field for them a little bit well we've had gooding on here in the basement a ton this summer and i'd like oh. to i'd like to play a little bit this is from your 2013 release buffalo this song's called mountain Treated it 
inspiration for Mountain? I mean, just a song that builds. How did that come about? Man, you know, it's funny. I'm, first of all, the management always tells me, they're like, you realize that anytime you give us something remotely hooky that could be a single, you never say the name of the song in the song. So thanks for that. <laughs> you know, they're like, you spell radio, radio, radio hook is supposed to say the name of the song. And I was like, no, man, that's what's cool about it. Mountain is like, that's your own personal thing. You got to climb and get away from cynicism. There's a lot of lines in there. You know, the search for self and yeah. how to, you know, overcome your demons. The same typical stuff that all us whiny, you know, soul searching songwriters are always, you know, screaming about, you know, pretty heavy. But, uh, but yeah, man, one of these days, my management's wonderful, man. I, I need to write them a song where I just shout the hook for once for them. <laughs> I guess, I guess we, I guess we kind of do that in a couple others, but yeah, in general, you know, I get, I get a little too, I get to pulling on my beard a little too much, man. Give the people what they want sometimes for crying out loud. Were you dealing with anything that was a personal mountain at that time when you wrote that? Oh man. Yeah. I mean, anybody that throws their lot in and starts living on the road, you know, pretty much full time. And we tour six, seven months a year. And, and luckily, gratefully more and more, there's, you know, things that, that come up in between the tours where you're always on a plane, you're always somewhere. I think like anybody who's an entrepreneur, man, if you're up early trying to figure out how to keep things rolling, how to keep, uh, keep the crew going, how to keep yourself inspired, people inspired, you know, you got to ask the big questions. You got to figure out really where it is, you know, you want to go where you want to take these things. And, uh, you know, specifically then, that was actually before I got married. I'd been with my wife many years, and she kind of jokes that that record, Buffalo, has a lot of breakup songs on it. And she was uh, she's solid as a rock. That's why I married her. I, I don't know why all these sad breakup songs on that record. I, and she's like, are you working out something from two years ago? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So it's really funny, man. You know, like the times that you're feeling really down. Music can, I mean, obviously it can really help and, and, you know, grist for the mill. It's a way of, of getting those feelings out. You performed in your 2016 tour. I want to talk about this for a second. When you were, you, you yeah. went to a lot of high schools, you saw a lot of kids and over 22, almost 23,000 kids. I know just from having been in high school that you show up at a gig, the students come in, they're like, oh, great, a money lesson. <laughs> And then great. You, you this must, is going to suck. Yeah, you must see it in their eyes at first when you start, but you guys really surprised them. Well, it's funny, man. We we always say music makes the medicine go down. I, I almost cringe when I see the posters up with us on them because if I'm walking through the hallway, like, you know, we're, we're loading in or something, I'm like, I almost don't want the kids to see me until after I've got to play a little guitar for them because I know they're just associated this with oh these guys aren't you know this is a financial literacy band and we played music since we were little kids my drummer and i jesse richardberg we've been together since seventh grade in wichita playing together so i mean you know we've had years of road work i mean we've been in 48 states uh we've played you know thousands of clubs etc etc this was never something where you know we (laughs) we're not financial advisors we did not start in in any it's always been music from the beginning but that's the thing. Once the kids hear us play and we start with music and we play a you know, quick film of some of the stuff we've done around the world and the you know, things we have going and some of the licensing. And then there's some kind of respect like, oh, wow, this is actually, you know, if they, if they haven't heard of us, this is a legitimate band. You know, our goal and that's our job. And if we can't do our job, we shouldn't have a mic and we shouldn't be able to talk to them about anything we care about. We have to get that place just off the chain. We've got to, you know, we play yeah. as loud as we can possibly get that PA going and get them in that place. And then hopefully, uh, you know, we get a few minutes of a teachable moment with them. You end up talking to a lot of kids about money. What surprises you most when you're talking to kids around the country about money situations? You know, how many times they tell me that they're trying to save, but their parents take the money or they have to help their parents. Really? How we're in this world. Yes. And, and, and I don't hear that all the time. I mean, I guess actually there's a lot of things that should surprise me, Joe, but they don't because I've done all those things those kids are doing. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll just get a 
record deal and be rich. No, that's not how that works. And even if you get rich, there's a good chance you're going to go up fast. You're going to come down even faster. Zero's not the bottom. So a lot of things don't surprise me just because I've been there. I remember it. I know how close I am to going back to that if I don't keep a budget. And I don't remember that it's not things that are going to make us happy. That security can make us happy. But those things aren't going to make us happy. But, you know, it surprises me how many times there's kids who actually are trying to get their feet out of the sand, but the parents are pulling back on them because there's just a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of people everywhere struggling right now. And, and that's one of the things I started to see a few years back that kind of inspired us to do this. You know, we were, we tell, you know, if you're a, and you're a band, you get the place moving, everybody's drinking some booze. You're hanging out in the parking lot with them at three in the morning as you're loading up. They're <laughs> going to tell you their story. Right. I mean, we're kind of, it's like Amanda Palmer said, man, we're sin eaters. That's kind of our, that's part of the job, man. People open up to musicians. We're passing through town. So they figure there's no danger telling us everything. We've heard about so many people, you know, especially 2008, 2009, losing their homes, uh, getting these same-day lenders on them. 400% is the average uh, interest for a same-day lender in America. In the south where I'm at now, and we're doing a lot of the markets here, man, Atlanta, Nashville, Tuscaloosa, they're up to 1,400% if these folks miss a few payments on these same-day loans. And, you know, I understand these loans serve a purpose. Some people may need, you know, instant cash. Actually, J.D. Vance in that book, Hillbilly Elegy, you know, he was kind of defending those. And I thought that's a beautiful book. But, you know, at what cost, man? If they can break even at 40 percent, I don't understand charging people who are already struggling a thousand percent. So we heard those stories and and those stories still surprise me when a kid tells me, well, I took this loan out. Even kids who aren't 18 yet, they're I've seen same day lenders advertise in high school newspapers. They're just oh. waiting for these kids to get that credit score. It's crazy, man. I mean, it's creeping in and you know, there's really very little regulation on that stuff right now. And, and this, again, this is not a political issue. This is not right or left. This is about, you know, folks that are really struggling getting some kind of shot. Cause I think if, you know, if everybody's doing a little bit better, we're all going to do better. Let's listen to another track from Buffalo. This one is called Hey, Hey. Start you better get on, get on just it's it's so amazing gooding i just you know you can't you can't not move when you listen when you listen to oh that's that's awful kind of you man you're you're an interesting cat man talking to somebody who's this passionate about music this great of an interview but also you're you were an fa so i mean you know this stuff inside and out this is the these are great questions man it's a cool interview i'm enjoying it well well so so tell me about hey hey where did this song come from You know, it's funny. That one is another one probably that's a little bit deceiving in that it's so bouncy. But, you know, hey, hey, crooked little stars. Um, this kind of this whole thing about, um, you know, there's a, actually there's some of the things that we kind of talk about in the charity too, man, about just believing in fame and hype and, and you know, getting into a place where, you know, you're doing what you know is right, which, what's real and, and kind of, you know, not being fake and this kind of a thing. So, which I mean, you know, when you're a musician, man, that's always the question. You know, it's like, I've got to write something that moves people. 
but you've got to be yourself. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, the, the further along you go, you know, you and some people realize this very young. I mean, I don't understand how Bob Dylan wrote those lyrics when he's 18 years old. But some people realize if you do what moves you, it's probably going to move somebody else. We have more in common than, uh, you know, things that are different. But um, I think Tom Petty said it best. He said, don't bore us, get to the chorus. So I try to say, I try to say what I want to say, but I try to do it in a palpable way that I know when we hit the stage, you're not going to have to, what is it, Spinal Tap, you know, the, the, the Russian festival, thumbs down, you know, it's like, you know, acid jazz for 11 minutes. I mean, I love to jam, I love to improvise, but, you know, we're still a, a rock and soul band, man. We got to get to the point sometimes. You ever have that Spinal Tap problem where you couldn't find the stage? brother i can't believe you asked me that absolutely <laughs> have you, know, you really funny? i watched it oh absolutely i was in uh actually you know what i remember where it was i was the um it was in wichita i think it might have been the orpheum theater yeah a lot of times if you're underground and there's catacombs stuff like that they'll have like tape like they do it you know hospitals or airports where you follow the line to go and somebody it was probably a joke somebody's playing on us they ripped up the tape and so i think i went the wrong way for a couple of hallways before i figured out and that is brother that is the first thing i said is i was like i am nigel tufnell as we speak you know it's funny you two uh, the edge from you two said the greatest thing about that movie he goes you know i watched that movie with a lot of people and everybody in the room laughs and everybody who's in a band cries because that that thing is painfully true. There's a little bit of truth in everything. And if you talk to guitar players, man, we're the worst. That whole go to 11th, everybody's like, look at my new pedal, my stomp box. I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter what gear you use. It's how you play. But you put a pedal in front of me. I'm like, hey, man, what does that do? I mean, we're just, we're we're all nerds. We're nerds. <laughs> That's it's terrible. It's fantastic. All right, how did you get hooked up with Funding the Future? Oh, man. You know, I get a lot of credit because I technically, you know, founded it and did a lot of work with the band to get it off the ground. Um, I was donating these shows without, you know, any kind of charity or name for it. You know, as I said earlier, you know, in the interview here, I just seen a lot of things that I felt maybe I, maybe I could say something that would be of service on. And so it kind of, I used to feel like I was pushing this train and now it kind of got behind me. And so I was like, man, this thing could be a lot bigger than us. And we started talking to people around the country. We met a woman at a, uh, um, actually, it was her and her husband in Santa Fe, New Mexico at a show there. And they had a bar in Cheyenne. We had a night off the next week. And they said, we'll come through Cheyenne and play our bar. And so we it was this crazy thing where we just met these people. We started talking to them. They were really passionate about financial literacy. And Rita was just, she was incredible. She's like, well, I know some people that might sponsor a show. Why don't you, let's, I know some kids that need the help in Cheyenne. Why don't you come here? And before we knew it, we were talking about, you know, 501c3 charities. We were forming a board and it just took on a life of its own. Once I met a woman named Sasha Millstone from Raymond James, that is, you know, that's a, another one of those touchstones where the thing just absolutely took off because I was really careful about who I wanted to sponsor this thing. And I wanted there to be other acts. I wanted it to go on way beyond us. But uh, Raymond James has been a great partner because they're not messing around with these same day lenders and they don't have banks on the street. It's an investment house. So, you know, if they're going to get anything, you know, from doing this work, it's going to be 10, 15 years down the road from these kids, especially in these schools where these kids are really struggling. And yet they are there fighting the fight with us and, and, and helping the charity. So yeah, between between meeting Rita and getting uh, Funding the Future started and the board members there and then what Raymond James has done, it's just turned in. It's taken on a life of its own, brother. That's so awesome. The band is Gooding and it's Funding the Future. We'll have links to everything that Gooding Great. and I talked about today on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Man, good luck with your next tour and prepping for that and and have fun. Oh, I can't thank you enough. Have fun well, on man, the I road. Look forward to, yeah, man, this was a good time talking to you, man. I look forward to doing this again down the road. 
Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Anyone who knows me, and I'm not at liberty to say who, but three of you know me very well. They know that I am incredibly modest. But with Gooding here, I think it's time to break out my old college instrument. Haven't played in years, but just like I prove every Friday with the ladies down at the Sizzler, I was one of the greats. The instrument? Do you really have to ask? The freaking air guitar, of course. Could anything else be the highlight of a rock concert? Let's get you on your way with trivia so I can show off my shred skills to Gooding before he leaves. So here's the question. What band has made the most money ever from a concert tour? I'll have your answer in probably a new gig in Gooding's band right after the break. I've talked about this stat before, but this is scary. According to a 2016 Gallup poll, 48% of all Americans don't own any stock. And I realize it can be daunting when it's time to start something new, but here's a great thing. Getting invested is more to do with taking baby steps than leaping headfirst into Wall Street. Here's Brian Barnes, founder of M1 Finance, on just how easy it is to be invested. So you just either log on to the website or use the mobile application. We're native on Android and iOS, and it takes about three minutes, and your first $1,000 that you deposit is managed for free. I'd love to say the free $1,000 is a special deal I made for you, but uh, Brian and M1 Finance are that good to everybody. With M1, you can select from one of dozens of professionally designed portfolio pies, or you can customize it, as mom says, to your heart's content. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance for more. That's stackybenjamins.com. M, the number one, finance.com for more. So just fire up their mobile app, M1 Finance, be invested. Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, I tried to challenge this Gooding Joker to an air guitar battle during the break, but he just glared at me like I was making fun of him. Something about disrespecting the craft. Buddy, I pretty much invented the craft. I guess some people just cower in the face of greatness. Can you really blame the guy, though? I mean, I don't really want to have to air battle OG again and show off my skills. The last time that happened, OG said we'd each do a 20-minute solo and then I could go first. Two guesses on who ate the rest of the apple pie while I was doing my solo. Better get the trivia done before OG attacks that peach cobbler. Here's the question. What band has made the most money from a tour? The answer? U2 is claiming that honor with 768 kajillion patrillion dollars. Nah, I'm kidding. It was $784,027,536. Made between 2009 and 2011 on their 360 tour. How if only someone could recognize my talent. One more shot at Gooding couldn't hurt, I don't think. Huh? See ya! I got it. Bam! Got it. Fantastic. A big thanks again to Gooding for coming down here to the basement. I love it when rock and roll stars come down. That is so fun. Great music, too. I did just... <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency are disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things you value most, OG. Red wine and cigars. I thought you were going to say rock and roll and something else. <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> 
Yeah, rock and roll. There you go. It's why they've created the only affordable term life insurance policy that's backed by industry giant Mass Mutual, which you can purchase entirely online without a medical exam. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to learn more about life insurance the modern way. That's stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to a good friend, Chloe. Say hello, Chloe. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Chloe, and I want to thank you guys for everything that you do. And now I have a new question. So I am 30 years old, and my net worth is $210,000, mostly thanks to your reinforcement in my ears every day. I want to know how do I calculate my retirement age and how much money I need to have in retirement. I know there are a ton of calculators out there and I've looked at them and I listen to way too many financial podcasts. So I hear things about, you know, um, retiring early. And I also listen to like the retirement answer man who's helping people retire now that are at retirement age. And I just don't know where I really fall. And I don't really know what I should be banking on, I guess, because I know that we're approaching an inevitable downturn. So I would love to hear your advice and also your input. I do get a 10% match. I max out my 401k. I max out my Roth IRA. I've started a small business for increasing my income. And I do all of this with only a $63,000 salary. So anyone can do this. And I do get that 10% match as well. So if you don't mind just um, telling me if I'm doing an okay job and if you could tell me when I'll retire. <laughs> well, we, I did, thanks, thanks a ton, Chloe. Good to hear your voice. We haven't heard Chloe's voice in a little while. Uh, Chloe's been friends of ours for a while, OG. So let's talk to Chloe. Uh, first of all, retirement calculators. When is she going to be able to retire? Well, a lot of moving parts in what she talked about there. Retirement is just purely a function of how much you want to spend, right? So if you have uh, $200,000 and you want to spend, you know, give or take uh, $6,000, $7,000 a year, you could retire now. But that's probably not what she envisions, I wouldn't imagine. Maybe not. Uh, uh, The problem, I think, with the retirement calculators is that there's too many variables, right? And and, uh, they can't account for every variable, every single calculator. So what you end up with is some rules of thumb. There was an article, I think in the wall street journal, I don't know, three or four years ago where somebody took the same retirement info, right? The same data, put it into all the retirement calculators that all the different kind of popular retirement calculator, you know, brokerage companies, whatever, and came out with different answers. In fact, they even did that with financial advisors and said, we got, you know, a thumbs up from one guy, a thumbs down from another person, so on and so forth. So a lot of this is just going to boil down to the specifics that you are working on, you know, or, or what, the, what you envision for retirement anyway. Here's how I do it. Real simple. Take the amount of income that you need per month, net of taxes, add inflation to that. Do that with a calculator, right? 1.03 raised to, so that's that little carrot symbol the number of years until retirement. So if you're going to retire when you're 60, so I'm going to go 1.03 raised to the 30th power. That's going to give me a number. Multiply that by the monthly income you need. And that's how much you need per month with inflation attitude over the next 30 years, right? Take that monthly income, annualize it. So if your monthly income is now $10,000 a month, you know, at age 60, annualize that. So it's 120,000. 
divide by 0.04, or you can multiply by 25, whatever you want to do. And then you end up with uh, 3 million, right? So 120 divided by 4% is uh, 3 million. 3 million times 4% is 120,000. That's the number. So now you've got this $3 million goal. You've got $210,000 today. You can do a, a financial calculator to say, here's how much here's how much I need to, uh, here's how much I'm saving every single month. If you got 30 years, that means you've got uh, 360 months to get it done. Stall for rate of return. That tells you how to design the portfolio. Is Yeah, what I like about that approach too is that when you solve for rate of return, now you know I need 8% and guess what? Instead of looking at every single investment out there, you're looking at just investments that historically have delivered that. Right. So yeah, the uh, combination of different different uh, investments that put together make that 8%, right? Yeah, because people get all freaked out about, oh, there's so many different things to know. You don't got to know everything. You just got to know the stuff that fits you. Yes, exactly. And that's the, you know, that's that's why the online calculators are a great way to kind of generally point you in the right direction. I would say that that's the great thing about what they call Monte Carlo analysis, which is kind of what a lot of those calculators do. Um, they're all about... Uh, assumptions and all about very variation probability of return and that sort of thing and uh, michael kitsis has a um, thing that he tweets out from time to time about monte carlo i think it's a keynesian economic quote from a long time ago but but anyway it says i'd rather be approximately correct than precisely wrong and i think that's when it comes when it comes to retirement planning especially when you're 30 and you're thinking about age 50 or 55 you just want to point the ship in the right direction at this point you know, so uh, you're saving what you can save. You've maxed out your 401k, the Roth, you're getting a huge uh, match. Just keep the pedal down. Don't let off the gas. 200000 a day, 400000 800000 $1.6 million. Just keep on watching it double. Somewhere around that $3 million range is probably where you need to be. And um, I'd say you're probably on track. Yeah, thanks for the question again, Chloe. If you've got a question and you'd like us to throw out the lifeline to you, it's stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Doug also brings down the letters. And today we have a letter from, uh, we've got a couple letters today we're going to do because the first one's just a quick one. It's from our new friend, Seth. Seth says, Hey, Joe, great job on the show as always. Uh, on a recent show, you mentioned you were helping your daughter move to Kansas City. My wife and I live in Kansas City. If there's anything we can do to help, feel free to ask. It's important for her to know that Kansas City barbecue is better than Texas barbecue. <laughs> I'm going to wake up the baby. <laughs> that, those are fighting words, man. Yeah, well, you can dream. Whenever, you've, whenever you are in town to visit her, if you have availability, it'd be great to meet you. Thanks for the recommendation. I'm Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. Of course, as you know, G, one of our favorite, uh, my favorite podcasts about a flight attendant who tells stories and has other flight attendants tell stories about stuff that happens on planes. It says, looking forward to your next episode. Keep up the good work, Seth. Hey, Seth, we moved her in, but it was very, very much. Thank you for the offer, by the way. It was very, very much a all hands on deck, very, very quick move. I drove uh, so much that weekend. It was just absolutely crazy. And uh, we got it done. But I'm going to be visiting her from time to time, and I'd love to do a Kansas City meetup, and I'd love to do it over barbecue. And, uh, you know, I already had, uh, they used to call it Oklahoma Joe's. I think they changed the name, but fantastic barbecue. It you know what's great about gas barbecue station. in general, regardless of where you are? What's that? Because it's barbecue. It's barbecue. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, it's hard to get bad barbecue. Let's. It, it, no, it's not. Oh, there's some bad barbecue out there. Yeah. I, well, I, I get you know from from a you know a taco truck or something perhaps, but no, I'm talking about I'm talking about generically, right? 
if you go to Kansas City, there's going to be a good barbecue there. If yeah. you go to North Carolina, there's good barbecue there. There's great barbecue in Texas, of course. So I got what you're saying there. Yeah, right. Uh, but Seth, anyway, we will be coming back to Kansas City. We'll have a meetup in Kansas City. I also have some uh, blogger friends that are there, and I'm sure we can get them out. And our second note comes to us from Chris. Chris is a long one. We might not make it through Chris's entire letter because Chris says, As long as it's interesting, I can stay awake. I apologize in advance for the extensive message. I considered the lifeline option, but question after question kept popping up. After putting off my personal finance due to internal fear and stress, I'm trying to take a more proactive approach to tackle this. I turned to the internet and stumbled upon some highly recommended personal finance podcasts, one of which was Stacking Benjamins. Trying to catch up with all the shows has recently become one of my daily routines. I really appreciate the lighthearted approach the podcast takes by making stressful financial topics seem more manageable. I also enjoy the different opinions the roundtable guests have on all the topics. Thank you very much. With the scope and volume of information scavenged through books and the internet, I'm suffering from a big case of analysis paralysis and was wondering if you could provide some advice. Current situation, I'm 28 years old with no debt, make about $60,000 a year, have an employee stock purchase plan, about $90,000 in savings account with minimal interest earned, $6,500 in a Roth IRA, a target date fund, $30,000 in a 401k, also target date fund, and a quote, non-participating flexible premium universal life plan up to age 95 and purchased at age 10. The life insurance policy was purchased by my mom and I've taken over the premium payments, but I'm not sure whether the policy is worthwhile to keep at this point in my life as I'm single and have no children. I made the mistake of contributing the bare minimum to my 401k when I started working, but plan on maxing out this year. I've opened up a Roth IRA and plan on contributing the max to either that or a traditional IRA, depending on tax implications. I know I need to invest the majority of the savings somewhere, and one of my considerations is to open a taxable account through Vanguard. However, I was wondering if I should do it as a lump sum, one-time transaction, or spread it out across multiple time periods, dollar cost averaging, or just start out small. Are there any other investment options I should consider alongside the taxable account? My current goals include long-term investing for retirement and a down payment for a condo townhouse in the next few years. With that said, I'm not sure how aggressive a portfolio I should begin with and whether or not I should stick with mutual funds or go with ETFs. This is a huge undertaking for me, so I'm trying to devise the best approach possible. Any input is greatly appreciated. Let's stop there because... You're like blinking repeatedly like you haven't like blinked. As you read that letter in like one one blink and one breath. We are halfway done with it, by the way. We are halfway <laughs> no, done. Come on. No, no, we no, we seriously are. We're not gonna continue to right now, but let's 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 okay. not go because the second half of this is all about something else. Oh, okay. All right. So let's take this. I think, and tell me if I'm if I'm wrong or not, I think Chris suffers from analysis paralysis partly because she's trying to look at the whole big thing. Kind of like we were talking about with Chloe. Don't look at all the investment choices. Don't tackle it all. Start off with what you need, and then the investments kind of take care of themselves. A lot of different moving parts here, and I think you're exactly right. Trying to tackle everything all at one time is what's leading to the, you know, the chaos, right? I mean, this is this is chaotic stuff here. You got to break down the goals that you have, and then start figuring out what goes into what associated with each goal. So for example, Chris, you said, Hey, I want to buy a condo maybe in three to five years. Okay. Sounds like you've got some money set aside in your cash reserve currently. So we know that of that 90,000, I think is what you said is in the bank of that 90,000. Some of that needs to remain there for a cash reserve, right? So maybe that number is 15,000, just making it up, but you want to have three to six months worth of your expenses. So that leaves 75. 
So now you think, okay, I want to have a house down payment on my condo. Well, what are you looking at? Are you looking at a $200,000 condo? If so, 20% of that, 40K, right? So there's another 40,000 that needs to go earmarked for the house. And now you're talking about investing 35,000. And so as you, as you work through the goals that you have, the more likely you are to find a home for the money. Because I think a lot of times people get stuck on, well, should I buy mutual funds or ETFs? Doesn't matter. Same thing, pretty much. So people get stuck on that because they don't know what to do with that little minute detail. But the reality is, is that you can, if you start with the goal piece, everything kind of falls into place the way it's supposed to, right? So now we've we've taken that 90000 and we've chunked it down into, this stays in my savings account for my cash reserve. This amount's going to go into a short-term investment for my condo purchase. Now we've got $35,000 for my long-term investing. You mentioned you got a Roth IRA. Have you funded it this year? Not yet. Take this year's out of it. That's fifty five hundred. Now you're down to thirty thousand. And now that now that question of should I lump sum it or should I dollar cost average? Which, by the way, in my opinion, you just lump sum it in. You just invest it, get it going. But now it doesn't seem as controversial, right? Because you're not talking about ninety thousand dollars investing right. in the market all at one time. You're talking about thirty. And you have these buffers already laid out in case the market does go backwards. Yeah, exactly. So it's really important to start with the goal piece of it. Same thing with retirement. Like um, Chloe said, how much do I need to retire? Well, I don't know. How much do you want to spend? That's the that's where you start from. At 28, it's impossible to think about what retirement looks like at 72. It just it's it's you've been working for six years for crying out loud, probably maybe 10. You know, it's just really difficult to wrap your head around. I got to do this for the next 40 years to maybe have enough money. And you're not trying to work on that 40 year goal. I mean, you are, but the elephant one bite at a time thing, right? set up the 401k, max it out, make sure the Roth IRA is maxed out. Then you can start worrying about, do I use ETFs or mutual funds? Do I use Vanguard or M1? Do I hire a financial planner? All of these things will kind of fall, you know, fall into place when you start evaluating it from the perspective of what's the goal that I'm trying to accomplish as opposed to here's all the, here's all the money. What do I do with it? Start with the goals. Yeah, I totally agree. And the tax treatment question then takes care of itself too. All of it does, right? It, it all it all falls down like dominoes. And guess what? That analysis paralysis gone, uh, gone. Good stuff. Yeah, you know what? We're going to take uh, the rest of Chris's question to start the show on Wednesday. How about that? Oh, look at that! Yeah. A, a little teaser, Chris. Yeah. You got to listen on Wednesday. Yeah, c- c- well, that's a, that's our way to keep the listener. Right, the listener. We yes. got to keep the listener, and if we uh, have if we have Chris uh, listen to two episodes, then bam, that doubles our stats. Great. <laughs> so, thanks, thanks for the letter, Chris. If you've got a letter for us, uh, send those to Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. or you know what you do, you just go to stackingbenjamins.com and across the top, you'll see question for the show question mark, and you've got the Haven Lifeline there, and you've also got uh, the the mailbag. You got all that great stuff. Thanks also to people, by the way, that leave a review of the show. That tells people what they're getting into when they listen to the Stacky Benjamin Show. And certainly people have been very kind recently. Uh, this review going on Mom's Fridge comes to us from Liolo. It's like you only live once, but it's L-Y first and then Olo. Ah, okay. Yeah. Five stars, though. Keeps me laughing. Enjoy listening to the comical banner, getting new financial information and learning about new fintech. Keep up the great work. See that? Short, to the point, crisp, what the show's about. Fantastic, Liolo. 
appreciate the review. And if you could leave us one too, uh, maybe that'll go on mom's fridge as well. Also, if you're looking for good financial planning in your corner to help you sort through all this mess, all this stuff, guess what? OG's taking clients. And that means to get on his calendar, here's where you go. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash OG. That leads you to OG's calendar to find out what it takes to get him in your corner working on your financial plan. All right, that's going to do it for today. Coming up on Wednesday, another fantastic show. We're going to talk about gender differences in investing. Fantastic. And we've got from Fidelity Investments, Alexandra Tosig. She's the SVP of Women Investors at Fidelity and a fantastic speaker. And we're going to, we're going to talk about a recent study they did, which is uh, pretty phenomenal, some of the big-time changes. And I know when I was in the business, companies came out with this superficial baloney about men and women being different. And no. No, we're not going to go there. That's it's not going to be it's not going to be any of that stuff. It's I remember not a biology lesson. I remember being embarrassed by some of the stuff. I'm like, really, you guys put money behind this? Like, <laughs> it's just horrible. Uh, not doing that. So excited to talk to Alexandra from Fidelity on Wednesday. All right, everybody, go stack some Benjamins. We'll see you back here Wednesday. Yeah, don't, don't worry about it, Joe. You can go back to that board game where you roll the 23-sided die and you're wearing that little Bo Peep costume. I, I, it looks like a lot of fun. I'll tell everybody what they were supposed to learn. So what did we learn today, folks? First, maybe this is a great time to review your homeowner's insurance. Are you adequately covered if the worst happens? We don't want to think about it, but better to be prepared when things are good than to be rocking like a hurricane later. Second, buy and hold. When the markets get volatile, which could always be right around the corner, that's the most important time to be buy and hold. But the big lesson, don't try to negotiate your salary first before making sure that Gooding understands that what he has on his hands is the Stevie Ray Vaughan meets Mark Knopfler mixed with Jimi Hendrix of Air Guitarists. He wouldn't even budge on a simple fruit tray for my dressing room. That guy's tough. In fact, he wouldn't even budge on giving me a dressing room or riding on the tour bus or, for that matter, standing on the stage. That guy sucks. Special thanks to Gooding for joining us on today's show. You'll find music like his hits Mountain and Hey Hey that we played on today's show wherever music is sold and more about financial mission Funding the Future at FundingTheFutureLive.org. Thanks also to Pete Duncanson from Service Master Restore for talking homeowner's insurance with us today. You'll find links to Service Master Restore on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. 
Special thanks to Gooding for giving me a chance to sell t-shirts at his next gig. He said if I sell out the place, I might get to open for him when he tours Iceland. That's my big break. A couple of weeks ago, oh, I guess we have to kind of start about start start by saying, whatever you hear here, here h e a r here h e r e, never happened. The this whole section of the show doesn't happen. It doesn't. It, it doesn't exist. So so don't talk about it. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I traveled up to Michigan for Steak Brothers' wedding, which was uh, quite a fun excursion. Moving the whole platoon. 1,200 miles, airplanes, airports, all that sort of stuff. Mrs. OG got uh, selected for the random security screening twice while holding the screening baby. Of course. On the way uh, there and the way home. Just as and, an aside, uh, by the way, on on, on Steak Brother, uh, we, um, I posted on Twitter this piece that I found interesting about how much money Blue Apron is spending. Did you see me post that? Yeah. Blue Apron spending four hundred dollars according to the according for to the article. New customers and our friend Tony wrote that OG's brother could get a two stakes maybe for that amount. Yeah, no kidding. And for those of you new to the show, um that's a that's yeah, an that's, old that's a long running running long joke. Running thing. But he but he got um, married. Somebody married him. Inter, inter, yeah. Interestingly, you know, it's the groom's family that pays for the rehearsal dinner and the uh, booze, apparently. They had a snafu with the schedule, so they ended up doing the rehearsal dinner in the afternoon. It kind of was a late lunch, and uh, my mom paid for it. And the whole time, I'm 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 texting them, going, "Are you going to order the steak and the lobster, or just the steak and lobster today?" You know, <laughs> he wouldn't do it to my mom apparently. Um, so, anyways, uh, but uh, but all of a sudden, not 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 a bad not a bad trip. Wedding was fantastic. It was it was a perfect perfect temperature. It's an outdoor wedding, 30 minutes long. All of it was perfect. We get inside and I think, oh, I need to run out to the van to get my flask of fireball. Duh. Because, <laughs> you know. Because that's what that, you do at a wedding. Well, I had it in my pocket and then I was scared that I was going to leak everywhere. So I kind of chickened out and uh, and I went to go outside. It was pouring rain. So it worked out really well. Wedding was outside. Everybody was dry. Came inside for the, for the uh, kind of receiving line and some appetizers and cocktails. And then it started pouring. So... Uh, it was a nice size wedding, perfect tempo of it. Started late in the afternoon, so there wasn't that. Uh, I don't know when we got married. Gosh, we were so dumb. You know, we had like the two o'clock wedding, but the six o'clock dinner. You know, and everybody thinks, "Hey, that's fine. We'll go do pictures." But <laughs> when you're a guest at one of those, you're like, "Come on, serve the food already." I know. Where are these people? Yes. You know, but um, but they uh, they didn't do that. They started at four. So. All said and done, not uh, not terrible. Started school last week as uh, a lot of people did, and so we are uh, 
just getting back into the swing of things. You're about to start traveling out of your mind. I mean, you've got more frequent flyer miles scheduled to be accrued here in the next uh, six weeks than anybody I know. I had to podcast movement in the Anaheim. I'm home for four days. Then I'm in France for 12 days. And then I'm home for another four days. And I'm in San Antonio for four days. And then I'm home for a month before I head to Dallas to go to... um, Oh, and we've got a couple trips to Austin and I, I think probably to Kansas City. Uh, in your free time. Yeah. In the, in the, in the four weeks between these. And then I go to, yeah, then I head to Dallas for, of course, four days at, um, FinCon. FinCon. And then a month after that, I'm back in Dallas for my board game geek con. Nice. So I get to play board games. And then then a few days, days. a few weeks after that, I think your son graduates, right? Uh, Actually, actually two days after that, I head to Michigan for Thanksgiving and then uh, two weeks after that, I go to Austin and everybody flies in uh, f- to watch uh, my son graduate from college. So, so uh, the moral of the story is we will see Joe again <laughs> January 3rd. Right, right. <laughs> He'll come up for air in January. We're, what happened? You're going to be like that uh, that scene from uh, old school when Will Ferrell's debating uh, James Carville. And he like blacks out and he comes up and he goes, what, what happened? I blacked out. That's going to be like the next five weeks or five months of your life. Yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be a good time. I can't wait though. I mean, it's a lot of great stuff that's happening, especially love this podcast movement coming up right now. Some fantastic speakers. And every year that we go to this thing, the show gets better afterwards. So I'm really geeked about that, about, you know, what I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff about podcasting. We don't know. We're about to find it out. And so that's going to be. Step one, buy a better table. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody says that (laughs) going for four years and we still have this crappy table. Uh, That's. That's funny. Uh, uh, wedding wise, though, wedding wise, though, back on the wedding, I remember being a wedding DJ, and just some of the some of the weddings that you. Oh, oh. it's good that it turned out well. Let's put it that way. Was uh, there a band you know, or a DJ? Uh, DJ. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, you're fine. Yep. Well, the thing yep. is, it's a little kind of kind of slow on like getting the stuff done. You know, you got that checklist of stuff you need to get done. You got to do the chicken dance, and the YMCA, yes. and the bridal yes. dance, and did it. You know, yes. And they kind of drag their feet on getting through all that stuff, which is you know annoying. Yeah. But um, there was one funny thing that really happened. I mean, it was probably the funniest part of the entire entire wedding. Um, uh, my brother was telling me this story about at the wedding shower, you know, about a month and a half ago. We have a crazy family and a really funny aunt who thinks she's really funny anyway, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> and she was my brother's godmother. And so at the wedding shower, she, you know, they had everybody go up to, you know, the buffet and eat or whatever. And she made this big scene about how she was the godmother. She was kidding, of course, but how how she should get to go first and all this other sort of stuff. Right. So my brother's telling me this. And I said, dude, you have to call her out at the wedding. And he's like, oh, I don't, I wouldn't know how to do that. And I said, no, no, no. You just take the microphone after the, after the speeches, make some heartfelt speech about this really important person in your life. And then everybody thinks you're going to say it's your wife or your mom, right? That's like who it's going to be. Oh right? no, really? Yeah. So he gets up there and he, after the speech, he says, all right, guys, you know, thanks for coming. Sarah and I are really happy to have everybody here. And, you know, before we break for dinner, I want to acknowledge a really important person in my life, you know, and frankly, without, without her in my life, there's no way I would be the person that I am today. Right. And everybody's starting to go like, Oh, he's talking about mom. Right. (laughs) And he goes on like all these, all these adjectives about how great this person is. Right. And he says, and he kind of pauses, he says, and I really felt bad at the wedding shower that, um, that she wasn't able to join us at the front of the line to eat. So, uh, 
So, ladies and gentlemen, Aunt Karen, <laughs> please stand up. And she's, you could hear her in the back go, scream, you know, because she's kind of half listening, right? Thinking she's going after, you know, he's going after mom. And uh, and he says, now, would you, we need you to go first because you're so important. Not, not your whole table, just you. <laughs> and so he went over there and walked her to the buffet line first. And, of course, you know, she, she sat back down. But uh, anyway, it was really funny. That was probably the best line of the That is that well is, done, steak brother. That uh, that was the highlight of the wedding. That's fantastic. I gave a I gave a speech at my sister's wedding, and the sad thing is, I remember practicing it forever. I remember I had some awesome jokes. Don't remember any of the speech. I also remember though that giving it, it didn't seem nearly as damn funny as it did when I was prepping it. I'm like, oh, they're oh, yeah. gonna be rolling. It's like the wedding in. crashers thing, right? Where you're like, yeah. they both like money, and and the color green. I'm, I'm I'm doing the thing where they're uh, where I'm pausing for for applause. I'm pausing for the for the laugh, and there's no laugh. Yeah, kind of like this after show. <laughs> All right, uh, congratulations to Steak Brother. By the way, that's cool. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.